you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Bar Harbor. Hey, been there. Good place. Indeed. That's, this was honeymoon for us. Nice. We uh, had a wonderful time. We actually drove from Cleveland to Bar Harbor by way of uh, Niagara Falls. And so, you know, we, we did the very traditional, hey, let's go to the falls. Let's ride the Maid of the Mist. Uh, we, we, I don't know, I, I had been there before, but only to view the falls. I hadn't really wandered around the town. And it's a wonderful tourist trap. You know what I yeah, mean? It's got yeah, yeah. the, the um, uh, let's see. Believe it or not, museum and the wax museum and all the and it's got mini golf and it's got everything in the world to eat and stuff like that. So <laughs> we had a really nice time. Yeah. <laughs> and in yeah. Bar Harbor, we actually went like we got a nice bed and breakfast that I had arranged for with the big four poster bed and and uh, the town of Bar Harbor is also touristy but like um, ocean quaint. You know what I mean? It's not totally there to separate you from your money. So we had the Bar Harbor Inn and Colleen had some of the best coffee of her life and we went whale watching and uh, and saw like a mother with a calf which oh, is nice. really cool how how cute a 10-ton animal can be <laughs> and it's very dog friendly i mean if you're a Absolutely. dog owner that's the place to go yeah in fact one of our most fun things was we were all packed up and heading out of town and we the um the tide went out and we had not walked the bar yet you know it's named bar harbor because the tide is changeable enough that you actually get a connection between the shore and an island. Right. And so we turned around after seeing it and went over to park where we could. And we walked the entire bar and, and the tide changes quickly enough that by the time we got back to land, it was no longer like 10 yards wide. It was a <laughs> sidewalk wide. And we we're like, right. okay, we timed this, you know, without knowing what the hell we were doing. We timed this just right. Like <laughs> it was an a action great... movie. You got to start running or you're going to get overpowered. <laughs> exactly. The big ball is coming. The bridge is collapsing, you know, whatever right, else right, it might be. So, right. so <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of trips, um, this weekend, uh, there's uh, something we're getting together for. It's like the first thing you and I have gotten together in quite a while. Or. Exactly. You know, it's so I, I remember I, I, I stumbled onto it last year. There's a, a company called Clued Up that does big live clue games and they, they pretty much learn your city. They do it all over the United States. I'm not sure probably dozens of different cities, but in Cleveland, they take over, take over is the wrong term. They inhabit downtown, <laughs> but they really know enough about it that you play live clue teams of like, I think, six people. They, and it's on, done on your phones or whatever video and, and, you know, net connection you can get so that they have little videos that are the various different people kind of either making confessions or being grilled by police or that equivalent stuff. And it keeps guiding you from place to place. It offers you clues as to, um, oh, you know, this person was uh, last seen at, uh, the oldest, uh, bar in Cleveland. And then you kind of have to know that or be able to look it up quickly to go to, the, the Stonewall Inn or whatever else right, it might right, be. Right. And we had a, a wonderful time with it last year. And we, we um, the, the whole point is like you're, there's a whole bunch of other teams that are doing it simultaneous with you. Um, 
and it, it runs from like nine to two. And it's not that everybody starts at nine and there's huge crowds and stuff. They actually give you different staggered starting places so that it's nonlinear. You pick up clues from all these various different locations and try to get to, you know, who, who done it and, and, and why. And so we figured it out, but we were like 18th place or something like that. You know what I mean? We really did apply ourselves and run around and that kind of stuff. But there, there's people that must have done it before or read about it being done because we just kind of showed up in casual hot weather clothes. There were people that were dressed up in Sherlock Holmes capes nice. and deerstalker caps. And perfect. Or other, you know, like that, that were the blues, the, the, I'm sorry, the Clues crew. Uh, I'm trying to think what the, you know, there's a show with, I'm like Dora the Explorer or somebody that does this. Like, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it really was fun enough that when I came, when it was coming back to Cleveland, I thought I'd love to do this again. And I'm glad that we could invite you along this time because I think it's going to be just as much fun. Yeah. You know? And it's interesting because this is kind of like a, a, a halfway stopgap or something between like staying at home with board games and the uh, AR games like uh, Harry Potter and Pokemon. You know, it, it's exactly. all live and you're out like the AR games, but it's not, it, it's partly, you know, digital based. Yeah. It, it's funny. It's not AR yet, which I really am hoping for that version that while you're walking around, you actually like hold your phone up and then there's a little character that's talking to you Im, imposed on the steps of the library or something like right, super right. You know what I mean? And, and it, it, there's things that are very similar to that though video you're watching is of someone having done that in that place so it's not happening in real time if you will but i just without going into detail they were very very clever about um how they use the terrain how they knew that there'd be lots of people around and, and so another factor of it is you know you're kind of competing but you're also cooperating you know it's it's like um I don't know. We, we tended to be, maybe that's why we finished 18th is because, you know, we didn't hide the fact when we saw something, we were like, aha, and we, people would come running over and see what the heck we had discovered. So, but, but it, you get outside, you get with some people, you have a good time. You know, that's how you really win. I mean, who really cares? Cause you probably couldn't find Absolutely. anybody that remembers who won last year, except the people who won, you know, that so. is a great way to put it. Exactly. But the fact that we, we really, while you're doing it, it's a very immersive experience. All your brains are firing and you're having little discussions. What does that mean? And and actually, when we got to the solution between the six on the team, we really had to vote on, there was just enough ambiguity, just enough like, well, we got to all the clues, but there's still not, it's not a, a linear thing where you're going to get exactly to the answer. So we kind of had to vote as to who do you trust of these witnesses so that their testimony is going to be what tips the scales in terms of, we think this person did it. And luckily, honestly, I, I think it was like four to two. It wasn't three, three. And then we had a fist fight. I think we actually came out to, we figured it out. And so that was at least very satisfying that we yeah. didn't fall for the most red of the red herrings. <laughs> and uh, so it, it, I don't know. Also to see um, it kind of like doing an escape room. You get to right. see all people have all different kinds of ways their brains work. And so some people love that. Find the thing different among these things. Some people are, you know, what's different about this historic scene? You know, they, they know enough about um, fox hunting that you can say, well, that's not authentic. And so it was really cool to see everybody contributing, everybody's mind clicking away and, and boom, these little epiphanies, these little revelations. It was very adrenalizing and i'm looking forward to it so nice. i hope you guys have a good time and i hope yeah. that you know it, it matches up to my hype that i've now built well, up for. <laughs> hey, just getting together with some people getting out and doing something because 
uh, you know, it, things have just been so crap this year. I mean, just seriously, you know, yeah. for us, even worse than last year, it seems. But if it's any consolation, when we play Clue here at the house, Gina yeah. beats everybody. I mean, to the point where I still have, okay, I've got four weapons left and two people and she just solved it. It's like, how the hell did you do that? She is yep. just, she clicks with it so well. So she'll probably really get into it. So she might be our secret weapon. You know, yeah. she's got that perfect like combination of induction and deduction that gets you to what do you know and what can you eliminate? And then it all kind of funnels into Right. That's very cool. That's so, yeah. how cool. Yeah, right. And, and that so that reminds me, and this is kind of a segue. Um, back in the day, I remember on Sega Genesis with CD, there was mm -hmm. a Sherlock Holmes game. And it was very much like that, but it was played through the console. But it came okay. with like a newspaper they made up for the game. It came with this journal with entries and it had physical things to go with it. Yeah. And yeah. look stuff up. Now, yeah, you could read through it all, but a lot of it didn't make sense until you got to that point in the game. And exactly. This, you know, is kind of like the live version of that. Um, it's very comparable, like you're saying. Also, what I thought it was, I mean, I've been to a couple of murder mystery parties, you know, where they have the actual, like, a 3M boxed game that was even called How to Host a Murder or something like that. And, and they're all, like you said, they're very clever in terms of, you know, uh, here's the little clue, and you really have to look at the object to say, so this is a Latin phrase. What does that mean? And all that kind of cool stuff. I've also been to a couple, not in your own home, but where you go to a restaurant and they host a murder mystery party. And they've actually got people that you don't know they're not guests until they stand up and like, you know, I accuse you because you fooled around <laughs> with my husband. And, right. and, and it's sometimes, I mean, they're meant to be a little over the top. You know what I mean? The people right. that are playing actors and actresses. Uh, actually, we have a good friend, um, J.R. Simons, who runs a company called, I think it's Hilarities. I'm sorry if I get you wrong, JR, but he has hosted those um, where it really is people from his acting troupe. So they really are good at character and good at not kind of being over the top and being, well, you can't trust her. So if someone that, you know, just lost something like their daughter, they really look heartbroken about it. And, and anyway, I uh, he has done really good ones like that. And so hopefully that's another thing that post-COVID will get a revival of. You know, that's exactly the kind of thing where when someone starts speaking, everybody in the room crowds around. Well, that's just what you don't want to do. Let's go to the super so, spreader murder mystery so, party. So just you know invite what I mean? the people you don't like and put them all really? in the room to solve the, <laughs> the puzzle. You know, that's a good movie, you know what I mean, where they really do put people that we don't mind these people getting off. Let's invite them to this. Right. Yeah. So uh, the, the game on the console, the reason I mentioned that is because yeah. I just got done listening to an audio book that you should check out. It's called okay. Console Wars. Um, okay. And it is a book, but I, I listened to the audio book uh, and it mm -hmm. actually was a um, like Tribeca film festival uh, movie also. And it won cool. awards and stuff. Basically what it's about is the uh, war between Sega and Nintendo in the late eighties to early nineties. And okay. it's done in a very narrative fashion, almost like a fiction book, but it's all nonfiction. And yeah, it was yeah. just, very engaging. And, and then I told a friend of mine that he said he's listened to it like four times. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to check this out. I, I told him, I said, I, I know how this ends. I mean, obviously 20 years ago, I know what happened to Sega and where Nintendo is at. So I know how right. this ends and I'm still listening to it going, okay, what's going to happen next? And I'm cheering for Sega. It's like, come on, you guys can do this. Um, yep. So it's very good. Cool. 
I, I, uh, without knowing a thing about it, I can imagine, I mean, it really is like um, human nature is such that you're going to have the um, people are going to do industrial sabotage to steal secrets. There's going to be, there's so much money involved that like, you know, whatever they do to get the big titles and how they outbid each other for who's going to develop for the various different platforms. I can kind of think of what elements would I, when I saw it coming out, like the big blockbuster announcements and the first time that I had read, wow, this thing going on sale made more money in its first weekend than this blockbuster movie that just came out. Yeah. And so you got an idea of there really were big stakes and that, I don't know, nerds growing up, kind of like Ready Player One, you know, which we just talked about a while back. It really is. They were really brilliant at what they did, but they weren't necessarily businessmen. And so you hope that they were able to run things well enough or that the professional managers they brought in weren't total sharks about it and people got pushed aside. And so I imagine there's some of those elements. <laughs> yes. And you should really listen to it because the respect I got for the guy that took over at Sega and brought them out of the pits. Um, okay. It's, it's, I mean, of course, I know it's fictionalized. So, you know, people, oh, that's not how it really went, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I get that. There can be lots of elements that may be a little fudged or something. Great, I get okay. that. But I don't think it was heavy-handed either way uh, that these are bad guys and these aren't bad guys. It, it was fairly evenly dispersed as good and bad. And Very they didn't good. show yeah. either of them in a, a great light or a horrible light. Uh, and, uh -huh. and the no. biggest... What? No, no, it's... Oh. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, the biggest two things I pulled out of it are the differences between America and Japan business relations and how it relates to their culture. And sure. ultimately, that's what killed Sega, was because the Japanese part of the company couldn't take the fact that the American part of the company was doing better than they were. And so they seriously... Wow said no you can't do this that or the other thing it's like but we've been we, we went from like a million a year to two billion a year right and look at the numbers talking. look at the, the exactly yeah. and they're like no sorry we're <laughs> taking control of all of it and you know where that went so it's okay. just interesting that and i'm not saying it's good or bad it's just the differences in culture and where the where the thoughts and focuses lie um yeah. and then the other great thing about it was just listening to sega starting out with basically nothing and and how they changed it and turned it around. I'm like, wow, that is a blueprint for any small business fighting the big guys. Here's what you do, you know? Interesting. So yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, boy, I have a whole bunch of thoughts zipping through my head. One thing that I've read is, and, and you mentioned it, you know, Japanese uh, competition, when it started to go outside their borders and, and come into the United States, they really, there was a culture clash and they weren't always, they were a little tone deaf sometimes as to how to sell a video game, how to sell a car. They, they're very systematic in terms of how they continually learn more, make improvements, move forward. One of the things, and, I, and I, this isn't just anecdote, I know I've read this, um, They many Japanese companies started to uh, include in their meetings a person that would take the role of the loud American. In Japanese culture, there's a lot of uh, deference and face, hierarchies and so forth, and they needed someone that would just speak up and say, well, that makes no sense. Well, that's not going to appeal to kids. That's stupid. They needed someone that would break through that accumulation of um, little yeses that lead to maybe a big no, a big untruth, but nobody's willing to, to right. um, defy authority. And so I, I know I've read about that. Another thing that I love is there's been all kinds of cool documentaries coming out that are, are like about things that have happened in my life. 
used to be documentaries were about, let's learn more about World War One and, and things that I, you know, that kind of thing. But video games wise, I've seen a cool documentary about Donkey Kong, uh-huh. about the people that were like obsessive about competing over it and that practiced and Still. practiced and got to the 300th screen. I'm no, I know I'm not being accurate, but where they played like a perfect game and here's how to get the perfect score. And that to be able to do that, not in the privacy of your perfect little cocoon you've created at home, but in the middle of a big, you know, uh, convention center when there's lights and people all around you and still be able to maintain that kind of focus. So I think one's called the King of Kong. Yes. Um, We we watched a show that's like um, the toys that made us, like eight episodes where they talk about here's the various different things. And especially that world of toys and video games, it's so much about like fads, about catching lightning in a bottle. And how do you do it? How do people create something? And then when they see it start to catch on, are they able to capitalize? And are they able to like keep the momentum going and make that rock too, or whatever else it might be? And so they're very interesting because it's not just a course about the toys. It's about the American mindset, or can you go international? Or like, how shameless do you have to be to, to plunge every single dollar into this possibility, but then if it pays off, it pays off so handsomely yeah. that there are people that have become like serial fad builders. You know, they're the tastemakers and they seek out the um, teens and the early 20s, you know, whatever those perfect, the market demographic all seems to be. We care about people from 16 to 25. And like, I guess that is kind of like when you look at movies and games and all kinds of stuff, there's a sweet spot for uh, fads work there. Right. Money is just starting to be made and they're willing to pay it. And all that kind of stuff. So there, there's a science, if you will, to that phenomenology. And it's it's a little weird to see people being so mercenary about it. But when they're successful about it 10 times over, it's like someone really knows how to like create a fad that it didn't yeah. really come out of nowhere. They, they fed it. You know what I mean? And the guy that uh, took over for Sony of America, he okay. was that guy. He revived okay. Barbie in the early 70s. Uh, or mid seventies that Barbie was basically on its way out. They were go get rid of the Barbie line and he revived it. And then he and his team went on to create He-Man and the masters of the universe. That, that's one of the, uh, the toys that made us things where they, yeah. you know, especially that like uh, action figures, you know, before when they were called dolls, they yeah. became action figures and stuff like that. Right. Um, and it, the, like the vocabulary of how to speak of those things. So they go from like hush puppies, became uncool and then by making hush puppies are dumb you know it's funny memes get in your head and they stay there forever and so it's kind of funny to be how do we break through the oh that's old-fashioned that's for kids that actually like college kids start having those things and then that is exactly your sweet spot demographic and and gi joe went through that because the the ones in the 60s were like the foot high uh, dolls and they were like you know, six, seven of them, different ones, where they exactly. moved a little bit. They revived that in the 80s to the whole miniature figures with a million commando toys and uh, Exactly. All everything. the accessories, yeah. all the characters, you know, and boy, yeah. there is an episode that's all about that. Like when you make something uh, collectible, you tap into that hoarding thing that why well, must have one to end of something. Boy, you got a built-in market. I don't know what the size of it is, but they are the fanatics that really will. They'll show up at five in the morning before yes. the store opens. They will tell all their friends kind of smugly, oh, yeah, I got every one of those. You know what I mean? Like, And, and they there's a self-fulfilling tornado of Oh, God, wants. yes. <laughs> when, I worked at, when I worked at Target, uh, yeah. every day they'd be lined up. out on. T- they knew the trucks came in Monday night, and we were unloading it. And so they would oh, be there Lord. Tuesday morning 
at the door. The minute it opened, they'd race and come running and start digging through the stuff. Because this was right around the time episode one was coming out. Oh, and boy. you had all the collectors there. And these guys are like, oh, yeah. And literally, they're just taking everything off the shelf into their baskets, you know. Right, and going, buying multiples because they know yeah. they'll be able to resell them. But oh, they boy. what they weren't. I, I, I mean, I'm looking at them going, wow, this was, you know, when people just started discovering the collectible, you know, at the end of the 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm looking at them going, they're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be my kid's college tuition. I'm like, you mean you're spending your kid's college tuition? Right. Because even back then, I'm looking at going, well, hold on, wait a second. There's 300 Darth Vaders on the shelf. Why do you think those are going to be worth money and you're taking every single one? Right. And there's 3,000 Target stores. So, you know, exactly. there's a million, a million yes. Darths out there. How is that going to get to scarcity? You yeah. know? <laughs> and, 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 you know, as an aside, that line of figures that came out at that time, yeah. most of them are worth less than when they were new. <laughs> So, oh boy! Yeah, so, I mean that's as a collector, it's often been the the luck of getting in on something early where it was nobody knew about it. It was scarce for the first, in my case, comic book six issues, and then it took off. But it's like it's, you know they don't uh, they don't keep reissuing those things necessarily. And even if they do, they kind of have to say this is second edition. So it's I know if you want to just play with them, it doesn't matter whether you have version one or version two. But if you're a collector, it really is. Oh no, that's got the green belt, and the blue belt is the one you want. You know right, what I mean? It's, right. it's weird the level of differentiation that people will make to get, I don't know, cash—not <laughs> money, but oh, I have something that you don't have. Kind of neener, neener, if you will. You know, it, <laughs> right? Never had the action figure thing. You know what I mean? People have given me things, and I've often put them on my desk because who doesn't want to have? I'm cool. I got Batman, but I. Maybe I, I think I've talked about this a number of times. I know I have kind of that collector thing, that addictive personality. And when you just dip your toe in and you find out there's a hundred of those, I didn't want to say, wow, another thing that I have to have all of. That's yes. what I really want to start. You know what I mean? There's, there's, a, there's a couple of Star Wars games that are miniatures okay. with miniature ships, the miniature Starfleet uh, cruisers, uh, yeah. just uh, – tons of tons of tons of little miniatures to buy, but there's like three different games that encompass that. And we were at the store one day and Gina's like, Oh, come over here. And I'm like, what? She's like, Oh, just see all that. Yeah. I saw all that. She's like, well, that's cool. Why don't we get some? I'm like, hell no. That's like $5,000 to get this stuff. And I can't get these two. You, you, right. you Stay if away. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> exactly. You know what makes, it still makes me sad. You know, I've read every one of my comic books. I was never the guy to buy them and tuck them in a bag and like hermetically seal them. And so they, they must, you know, they're all red. They all have some, I've been careful. I didn't read with white gloves, but I've never been the guy that, you know, spilled a drink on them either. Right. Having said that, there's all manner of things where like they, they, you see on eBay, you know, this is the first He-Man um, uh, uh, mint in box. It's like, you never even took it out. You didn't like have a grr and have that little fight with Skeletor and stuff. It just, it seems that that, buying to just own it not to like have fun with it uh, one of the reasons i love comic books as opposed to coins or stamps or other known collectibles is there's more to it you take it out and you read it and you get a whole bunch of entertainment out of it instead of you just like okay this is a cool stamp and then you know, flip it over it's like that's the glue side and then you're kind of done maybe you can go in there with the microscope i just i've always had reasons to choose between various different things I like coins because there's so much history to them. You kind of got to know, you know, this is the myth that it was struck and here's the story behind who's on it and that kind of stuff. But there was enough more about comic books that I really liked. I was buying the entertainment and it being a collectible was kind of secondary 
and now it might help that it is, but back then it was just because I loved the stories. I loved the heroic right. fiction, you know? So, right. and, and I, I get torn with that because people are like, Oh, don't open it. It's worth so much more. But I look at it, I'm like, okay, this, whatever figure it's worth $30. Is that going mm-hmm. to change my life? <laughs> if I go live on See, you know, Tahiti Island that I own, yeah. no, I'm not. <laughs> Another great way to put it. And that's even with Antiques Roadshow and all the places that have been trying to show, hey, collectibles, you never know what's going to be worth it. You know that just the laws of supply and demand, of of scarcity, that it, it's something that has a million copies, a million moms would all have to throw that away for the one kid that kept it to get any right. kind of real value on it. Right. And it's not going to happen within... 20 or 30 years, like you're, you buying it when your kid is born and the thing that's going to be his college fund, things don't really go scarce in 18 years, 16 yeah. years. You know what yeah. I mean? That takes like the- 1930s comics are scarce now because there were paper drives for the war. Their paper only lasts so long. There's, there's built in factors that you can take into account to say, where are you going to get real scarcity? Sometimes they do artificial scarcity. This is a limited edition of a thousand signed and numbered. So we know there's not going to be more than this lithograph or something like that. Right. And I guess that's a way of building it. I mean, you've been doing that with plates and spoons and all kinds of things for forever. Hummels, you know what I mean? There's a new one each year. And anyway. (laughs) And with the figures, like the Star Wars specifically, the original release of figures, those are worth money because there weren't that many of them. And nobody bought them thinking, oh, I'm going to uh, resell this because it'll be worth something. Because it's just, oh, they're toys. Eh. You know, that's what made them. It was after that people were like, oh, I'm buying everything. But like the Empire Strikes Back, Yoda and Boba Fett. If you have those in the, the thing, those are worth chunks of money. Like right, because nobody did that. Nobody bought it yes. and then didn't play with it. Exactly. <laughs> I saw a Boba Fett in the you know, whole uh, case and everything. Uh, fairly good shape. Not 100% mint, but fairly good. And it was like yeah. 1500 bucks. So, wow. but, wow. but, but it, you know, if I bought every figure, I probably spent seven or $800 back in the eighties. Honestly. And to me, like having the other 90 things for the same amount of money, I've always been the guy that I don't want the one perfect concentrated thing. I like having the set of them, if you will. And one day eventually I'll, maybe I'll luck into and finish my collection with that. But I've always been the one that kind of like wanted to have more instead of a single perfect thing. And Ali and I were just talking about this. You know, one of the things about like jewelry, for instance, is I never wanted to own anything that if it like fell down the drain and went away, that I would just start crying. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and uh, so I guess having my collection of comics, oh my God, that's treasure. In order for someone to steal my treasure, they don't break in two minutes, find it and walk out. They got to back a truck up to my house. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So there's some safety. And of course, that's not really true now that I know I have a specific, but they'd have to know which those specific things were. When you read about people, uh, a comic store getting broken into and things stolen, you know, you've narrowed your field of possible felons if they knew exactly what to steal. Right. That's not all public knowledge that's very specific you know comic collector even if someone gave you the list of what to steal you wouldn't know it by sight if you're going to get in and out in five minutes you got to be able to go boop 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 and take exactly those things right so i that's always been some i don't know solace to me is that when you have a lot of things you don't have to 
I, I don't have that fear. I mean, I guess I could have a fire. That would be my tragedy would be, wow, yeah. got everything. I had yeah. a tornado sweep through and scatter. Luckily, I don't live in Tornado Valley and we're pretty careful about fire, but that's, I would hate that. That, yeah. would, that would be the heartbreaking thing. You know, it's like, oh man, we had a flood and, oh. Well, <laughs> and that reminds me of an episode of Big Bang Theory where Leonard yeah. and Sheldon, their house gets, their apartment gets broken into. And they walk in, they're like, oh my gosh, the TV's gone. Our computers are gone. Chung goes, oh no. And he runs and he comes back and goes, it's okay. They didn't take my comics. <laughs> See, exactly. <laughs> the, the computers, those can be replaced. We back those up. That's what you do. That's oh, right. Man, don't this take the comments. Replaceable. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so speaking of all this swag, here's a good segue mm -hmm. again. Uh, what are you getting Colleen for her birthday this year? You always have interesting items. So, and it's kind of fun. You know, it, it's her birthday is today and we haven't done birthday gift opening yet because I let her sleep in and now we're doing our podcast. So we're going to do it afterwards. But you know, one of the joys of having a, a a relatively good memory or having a phone that you can jot things down into is all kinds of things get mentioned over the course of yes. year, years, and then you get a chance, oh, well, that, so I got, for instance, we both love comedy. And um, so there's often nowadays people that are in comedy that are writing books, either their jokes or about their lives or about what makes comedy comedy. And so I got like a, a Jerry Seinfeld book called, Is This Something? Is This Anything? That... It's about the act of joke writing and that it's not easy. Oh, you, know, wow. you really have to be that person that's able to take in all of what you hear around you and do that little twist. And then you try it out on other comics. That's the, is this anything? And the, it's, it's very interestingly written instead of paragraphs. It's like, everything is a line as is, as if everything is, is this anything? Is this a punchline? Is this a way of set up and get into the punchline? And so, because I like his work and I think he really has been, provedly perspective you know he's got great perspective he's got real um, ability to do that little he's, it's often called like the comedy of nothing you know he looks at all the little day-to-day -day things but he's the one that can tell you why it's funny that the noise that the espresso machine makes is really attractive to some people and really irritating to others or whatever there's all kinds of things so i got that i got a book by rachel dratch um who was on SNL for like seven years, was on 30 Rock. She's good friends with uh, Tina Fey. And so has been in all kinds of cool improv and stuff and some of our favorite characters, but was never the one to make the big movie. And sometimes that's who you want is you don't want the uh, Clint Eastwood book who, who who is the star and he's got that star perspective. You want like the Peter Ustinov book who was in on everything, but was always kind of the secondary player off to the side, but he's so witty and such a great raconteur of these stories that uh, you know, so that's that's what I'm anticipating from this. It's like her life in comedy and how life in comedy is not all of life and what's happened to her before and after. Oftentimes, you'll find out that comedians are pretty tragic in how they came up, and the comedy yeah. was the way they got through it, the way that they. And I haven't read the book yet, so I don't know if this is the case, but it's often the case for Freddie Prince or others that that right. kind of they didn't they never defeated their demons. You know, Robin Williams kind of kind of took himself away because when he f was finding out that he couldn't do what he loved doing at the height of his powers. It was, it was breaking his heart and Brian broke our heart by yeah, seeing yeah. him go away. So, um, got, uh, she really loves the little house on the prairie books by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Well, I found a parody book called little house on the wasteland. Nice. <laughs> and so it's like the survivalist zombie fight post, you know, uh, uh, the dystopian future and with pigtails. Uh, I, 
I, I exactly. <laughs> I hope she likes it. There's a couple of things that I got that are like, you know, you hope she will. I would like it. And so this is very funny. You know, we often give each other things like, okay, when you're done with that, you know, I'd like to read that too. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my philosophy. I told the kids, if I get you something that I like, it's a win-win. Exactly. It's a, I, I got, uh, she's needed a new alarm clock for a while. And she's had, in my opinion, a little bit of analysis paralysis where she wants to go to the stores and look at them and listen to them and that kind of stuff. And so I, went, I tried to find one that was like, it has um, adjustable uh, volume, adjustable illumination, the, the how, how light it is, and big letters so you can see it in the dark. And so for all those reasons, I think that this will be one that she'll like, even if she hasn't seen it before. But this really could be something that's like, well, put it back in the Amazon box. We're sending it back. It might not be to her taste. And so yeah. we'll um, I always get her some music. And in this case, this is really fun. When I, I got her, I always try to get her some things that she's not had before. So first, I, I got her Adele a while back. And now that Adele, as she puts out albums, I keep on getting her Adele albums. There's a really good prog rock vocalist called The Anchoress that I've read good reviews of. And so I got her a couple of those thinking that that will match her taste. And here's the, here's the, the, the cool breakthrough of the year. When we talk about favorite concerts we've ever seen, we once saw a double bill with Joe Jackson and Todd Rundgren, where it was kind of like the unplugged versions. They sat down at piano and on guitar and did not the orchestrated rock versions of songs, nice. but the, the perfect, like them as a player, them as a, uh, an artist, if you will. And she talks to this day about how much she loved that show. Well, thank God someone captured that show, I think in like the Roadhouse in New Jersey or something. I don't remember exactly, but... I got that for her. I got nice. that like the three CD set with they did. There was an opening act, then there was each of them, and then they actually came together for a couple songs. And our memories of that are just how much we were blown away with how talented and musical and the rapport they had with the audience. That it was all just so wonderful. And now, instead of only having the memory, we really can say that is how it is. Like I remember, it really was That's cool. amazing. So Those hope, are the cool you know, gifts. <laughs> and uh and just a couple other books and stuff like that but mostly it was books and music this year i often get her clothing and yet nothing struck me this year she didn't have a she hadn't dropped any hints as to um what she's looking for if you will and and also i almost always get her jewelry but this year because we're watching our money you know we have this silly new garage and driveway going in and that <laughs> took a lot and, and we had all the other disasters of you know, oh no my windshield is broken my water heater went out my electric has to be worked on so I didn't get her the nice, shiny, sparkly this year. Hopefully that'll be for our anniversary. That'll be for Christmas when we've revived our fortunes a little bit. But uh, so I, I got her 11 things. We also tend to do that, that it's not just one or two or three things. It's, you know, she'll have fun opening each one of them in turn and uh, we'll see what she likes. And I always put a little note in the front of the book with something about that year, something about the topic, et cetera, et cetera. So so uh for birthday uh for gina's birthday this year um yes. i i got her the uh prince and the revolution the uh soundtrack for purple rain because it's one of her favorite albums and i that got the LP yes because she just got a record player and she's been loving just sitting in the living room and you know the, listening to the records and having to get up and flip it and everything yeah so yeah that that's I, a I great album. you know it's yeah. it's kind of funny i um we often talk about, you know, we'll be speaking in various different ways. The um, Halloween's, uh, that is Mensa in Chicago, their big Halloween party, it's going to be the the vinyl frontier. Yes. <laughs> and I was going to do a thing about puzzles, but actually I'm going to shift to 
talking about my record collection. Nice. You know, even before I shifted to CDs and digital and stuff like that, I had all kinds of vinyl. And there's a different experience, as we've kind of talked about in the past, with the big vinyl album and flipping it over and reading the liner notes and that sometimes the internal sleeve actually had the lyrics printed on them, different groups. There was a gatefold thing. And so I'm kind of going to go through and pick out things from my collection. And it really is, you know, you can easily fill an hour talking about cool covers like Hypnosis for Pink Floyd or here's the Jethro Tull. It's an actual newspaper that makes... You know what I mean? If the songs are written about as if this little kid actually exists and it's in this town and all kinds of other, Rick Wakeman had an album where I don't know that I, I, it's kind of funny. I, I uh, it, it came with a little silver mirrored insert. And what you would do is you'd roll it up into a tube and put it in the center. And then it makes the image on the cover look correct. That's so it's like cool. a, not isomorphic, but it's something let's, you know, let's go a right. uh, cool amorphic image. Right, 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 <laughs> that, right. And they kept on, ever, just when you think, they've exhausted every possible thing they can do with record albums. Somebody comes up with a new, it's not just a photo of the band in a warehouse. It's they kept on doing cool things, and and it, I'm, I'm going to talk about that. Which, you, know which I mean? you don't get so much. Collection. You don't get that <laughs> was, so much anymore. Yeah. I, uh, I never bought bootlegs. I always, back, you know, back then and even still now, it like the artist gets the money. You know what I mean? All those intermediates, all those middlemen, they get a little bit, but they shouldn't be stealing. And especially boots are, so anyway, the only boot that I ever bought, because I had never seen anything like it before, was a 10-record Frank Zappa set. You know, he did not only concerts, tours, and stuff like that, but many of his shows were different each night. They'd play with the playlist over the course of the tour, just based on Frank's moods. He would throw things in and out, and and, and some things that were constant, when you hear the mud shark three nights in a row it's a it's mostly the same song but there's a different solo and there's different band goofing off going on you know based on uh, anyway so that's the only thing i ever bought was like i just i love him live and this is such an incredible capture and as you might imagine sound quality varies you know depending on who had done the bootlegging and stuff but so that's one of the things i kind of want to show off is like look at this cool thing right. I have. <laughs> well um speaking of the album covers uh, the artist that did all those seventies covers for yes, with all the yes. trippy looking stuff, Roger Dean, exactly. He, he went on to do video game graphics. Uh, and I had a couple of the video games, shadow of the beast and that, and if you look at it, you could like, Oh yeah, I recognize the style. Um, yes, exactly. The islands floating in space yeah. and waterfalls. And yes, yes, yes. Uh, and the bootleg stuff. I remember, you know, it, it's so funny because back in the day, uh, yeah. Grateful Dead were like, yeah, whatever. They even had a section in their concert setup, bring your recorders and stuff. Exactly that. So it was good stereophonic right behind the soundboard, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yes. Yeah. They, <laughs> I mean, they kind of did that. But then most of them were like, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Well, now everybody has a complete video audio recorder in their pocket and That's everybody's right. just given up. And I, I find that so funny because it, it's how things have changed and how, you know, is that one of the things that have led to the artists not making as much money and having to sell the t-shirts and posters and crap? Right, I, that know, comes probably. from the accessories instead of the actual music. Yeah. I know that I have at least one like live album from Springsteen where he says, bootleggers, roll those tapes. You know, he kind of, he was one of the guys that he, he didn't fight it. He was like, I don't know. There's a, that's the way that software worked for a long time. The whole concept of shareware was 
give it out as a try work. Yeah. If they like it, then they'll be willing to pay for it. And some people really fought that, and they were like, no, there's no pirating. There's et cetera. Et cetera. Others were, sure, give it away, and it'll be purpleware, shareware, freeware. You know, they actually have the whole GUI, uh, not GUI, um, right? Actually, maybe it is GUI. The, the new license that was pretty much, as long as you don't change this, you can indeed yeah, give it right. away, but you can't charge for it. So right. there was, backlash is not the right word, but there was definitely evolution of who all took those things into account. And like Linux is an incredible example of that wasn't made to make money to compete with at Windows or Macintosh or whatever else it might be. It was done because someone said, I'm just curious as to whether I can do this. I, I can do better. And so, you know, Linus Torvalds was uh, really good at that next generation of there's all kinds of things. This is a long solved problem. If I write a perfect operating system or a perfect reporting uh, thing for Oracle or something like that, I should be able to give it away. They're really, you know, Oracle, you can't, and, and as you know, I, I named that company in specific because Sun and Java and all kinds of, um, let's, let's say, call them shareware languages, there was various different ways in which they were trying to get it out so there would be mass developer adoption and so forth, but they still wanted to control the source code that was created or the, you know what I mean, that you... That there was all kinds of cool legal things that had to be figured out of if you incorporate freeware into your product, can you then charge for your product or do you have to give some kind of kickback to the freeware people, even if they said, we don't want it? And Microsoft had to work with that and Oracle and various other big companies had to say, this really is a perfectly written device driver and I really want to include it in my set of device drivers or fonts or whatever, but I can't steal it. And yet they don't want any money. So what am I going to do? <laughs> right, right. So. Yeah, and and you know it's interesting where that's evolved from twenty twenty five yeah. years ago. Uh, the Macs they changed their whole architecture to have the basis of Linux underneath it. You know, totally different than what they had in the nineties. Exactly. Yeah. One of the that's one of the cool things that Steve Jobs did. You know, when he went away from Apple for a while and created B and had the um, the perfect operating system, if you if you will. And then what he brought back with him, um, I'm not getting this all confused. One of the things he did was this really is more robust. It will be this kernel underneath running over everything and really stop treating it as if the OS and the, the GUI is a combined thing. We can make it so that there's software layers at the various different, of you know, human to metal. And um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's now like the emulation industry is based on. We can duplicate any particular part of that while still leaving the, the core stuff that really talks to the machine just as it is. So you get your security or you get your uh, um, deep compatibility with various different hardware. And yet we can still make it look like a whole bunch of different creatures, you know, that kind right. of thing. So right. fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, so changing gears, Black okay. Widow, what'd you think? <laughs> um, good, but not great. I agree. Um, so you know what I mean. I we I wanted. That's my first movie in the theater in how long? Fifteen months, eighteen months, a long time. Um, we, me and the boys went to see it. You know what I mean. We have I have a bunch of comic book geek friends that that I regularly invite like a dozen people, and half of us make it and stuff like that. It used to be that you had to go like Thursday at twelve oh one midnight plus one because they wouldn't open them before Friday. And now the movie world has said, you know, there's money to be made here. Right, so it's, we went at like, it's streaming. You can watch it at it home. Was, it was, so. and that's, I just read about that, that it was simultaneously released into theaters and streaming. And apparently like movies was 80K and streaming was 60 or the reverse. 
but I guess that was any kind of proof of it isn't that one cripples the other, that people will watch it based on what medium they like. Yeah. You know, what with some people I love, there are certain movies I really want to see in the theater because I want the big picture and the big sound and the yes. enveloping experience of it. And others, it's like, well, if I have it at home, I can pause when I want. I can go take a bio break, <laughs> you know, Shades of Arvog, exactly. that kind of stuff. Um, so I really liked, like, the, the, as, as for any Marvel movie, as you might imagine, the action sequences were great. Them dealing with the history of the character and how it all kind of ties together was really well done. Um, the last 20 minutes, this amazing fight while a city in the sky is falling apart and they're dealing with all the debris and swooping around. And it just, it's overwhelmingly cool. Yeah. Um, having said that, there really were places where I was like, okay, we get it, move on. There was a little bit too much exposition or a little bit too much trying to humanize the characters. And, and maybe this is just the fanboy in me. You know, why is nobody blowing something up, you know, currently? <laughs> it, I, I, I really like that they give depth to these characters and that there really are, you know, the struggles are not always who can punch each other, but who's got will, who's overcome demons, who's, you know, had a bad background and yet has emerged as a hero. And so, uh, and yet there were still times like when you, when you ever have to think, okay, move on. Or when you see people in the theater checking their watch or their yeah. phone, which is a curse. The fact that people check their phone in a dark theater, go Shoot. to hell, you bastards. <laughs> so exactly. But, but that was my only complaint, I guess, is that could they have tightened it a little bit? Could yes. they have just done a little bit uh, less of I those quieter passages and kept, I've seen movies where there's not a wasted minute that every single thing is moving towards and surprising you and whatever else it might be. And yet this just seemed at times a little slow. I agree. That, that was <laughs> almost identical to my thoughts that it, okay. it, every scene or every couple moments, it was like, here's where you want to hit. And they were building, building and they got here and then they moved on. And it, it was just like, just that one little click over would make it amazing. And everything, not that it was bad. I'm not saying it was bad. I've seen movies that are way, way, way worse. It was a great movie. Right. We loved it. But I wouldn't say it's like, oh, my God, that's the Marvel movie I want to go watch 10 times. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing that they did as well as it did because, you know, she's dead. You know, back in the, the previous Avengers movie, you know, this is a, a historic movie, if you will. It yeah. showed her, her coming to be who she is from the Red Room and so forth. And and it does show the next the, the inheritance of the next Black Widow or a whole bunch of possible Black Widows. And I don't think I'm giving any spoilers away here. That's um, one of the things. I, and I, hmm, I've read so many comics that, of course, I always compare. Well, how does that compare to the comic books that I've read, which really have decades of mythology and have had some really cool um, first ideas and that retconning and stuff like that? And once in a while, the people that make the movies just don't get it. They don't get that this is a Jekyll Hyde story, not a Dumbo story. Right. And that you kind of can't hit a clinker like that. And I think that most of this, it was true to what she had been through, that she was in the Soviet Union, that she had escaped from being turned into, you know, a, a killing machine, an assassin. Um, they had the, uh, the counterpoint of the red guardian being like, you know, um, kind of like the horse in animal farm, too loyal, too much a buffoon that he really was used in his life and career, but comes through in the end because he does, his heart is in the right place. He is a, an near indestructible character right. and stuff like that. But you know, they, they, I thought that they captured some good elements, but of course, as you might imagine, they leave out things that, you know, Ivan, her driver, never makes an appearance, I don't think, in any of the movies as well as no. here. And that that uh, relationship was always very interesting in the comics of this guy, a father figure, if you will, that's so loyal to her, 
and there's but there's no romantic interest, you know, father figure, you know, don't go weird. And yet that's so much part of what humanized her was, you know, in between doing these daring things and maybe these semi-legal things, there really was someone that no matter what, I'm with you. And that showing that kind of loyalty is a good thing for humanity, kind of, you know what right, I mean? Right. So, I, anyway. I think for me, <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe part of it was my expectations and, you know, something different than what they were really doing. Uh, I, I thought it, it, it should have, could have been a little more of a spy type story. And it, it, it didn't quite get there. Um, and even if it didn't, you know, it could have been a little more of uh, James Bond feeling. And it didn't quite do that either. You know, it was somewhere in between several different things. I think if they would have really gone deep uh, spy movie or deep action James Bond or something like that. They, they just needed, they, they, they were tr- like, they were trying to decide what type of movie they wanted to make. That's good analysis. I mean, they really, mostly it was a superhero movie and indeed her, her place in the Marvel universe is as the, the agent, the operative, you know what I mean? That she, yeah. and I guess, I don't know, I, there was not much disguising as compared to like mission impossible or something where that really figures into things. Um, that's, that's good analysis that there really wasn't enough, spycraft i guess like breaking in sneaking around using duct work that was some kind of part of that and stuff like that but it sure wasn't boy i'll have to think about that it 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 could have been even better to show that she's tricky and outsmarts people not just outfights them etc etc i think the part that there were a couple parts where i was like oh come on i i could just picture all the writers in the room going oh now how do we get out of this well here we'll just do this and and like like when the pheromones and she's like oh i'm gonna break the thing and she smacked her head on the table i'm like seriously that to me that was like come on you couldn't do anything think of anything better it just, right exactly that, she had pre-planned and given herself nose plugs or something like that yeah. and actually that maybe that is one of the ways in which she was tricky and again hopefully no spoilers is you know there's a main villain in all of this the, the manipulator and when she it, they've had scenes in the past movies where sometimes all, you don't have to do any intelligence work. All you got to do is let the villain start talking. Let him start blustering about his master plan. You know, Loki did it, various others. And so maybe that's part of what goes on here is that she can play the, oh, no, I'm helpless. You know, oh, please don't torture me. What are you going to do? And then they just start spilling the beans. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So she has learned to use her feminine wiles, if you will, to 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 get that reaction from someone who just can't stand be the peacock. He has to strut around a little bit, right. you know, so <laughs> it, it was interesting to put, uh, you know, if anyone has already uh, gotten too spoiled, so, sorry, but it was interesting putting the red room up in the clouds and doing that. Was, right. That was an it interesting. wasn't the volcano lair that it was. Exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> Another thing I like, this is kind of funny, whenever you go to a superhero movie, they nowadays they cater the um, trailers to what, who's in the theater to see that. And so it was very nice. As you know, this is the, the, the break where now Marvel, the MCU, will go into Phase 4 and lots of things coming up. So seeing the previews for Shang-Chi, yeah. and, and, and it's kind of funny, that plus Snake Eyes was like, so which movie is which again? You know what I mean? The G.I. <laughs> Joe Snake Eyes. And they had... Jungle Cruise, some of them yeah. like, okay, that's not a Marvel movie. That's a Disney movie. And you can kind of tell. And yet it's like, I could see that for two hours. I could see spectacular, yeah. you know, this boat breaks through a wall type. <laughs> so that, that's because when we saw the, the Jungle Cruise uh, trailer, 
uh, which right. we probably will see. We like the rock. I like the comedy stuff. So I, I hope it you know hits that really well. But I was looking at it and I'm like, what's it say that when we see the Shang-Chi Marvel superhero trailer and then we see the Jungle Cruise trailer and the Jungle Cruise trailer has more computer graphics and stuff on it than Shang-Chi. What's that tell you? <laughs> exactly. You know, Shang-Chi is really, I, 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 I think it's Shang-Chi instead of Shang-Chi, but I, I, yeah, I hope I got that right. I think they right. said Shang-Chi. So um, they didn't, maybe that's supposed to be a big reveal in the movie, but you know, he comes from interesting stock. And so I'm hoping that, you know, if they're looking for, I mean, I ought to say this, there have been various different generations of villains in the various different movies based on our international relations. For a while, like every James Bond movie was, there was a Russian protagonist. It was against Smirsch or the GRU predecessor. And then for a while that we got friendly because of uh, uh, Gorbachev and others. And so then it was terrorists or it was um, Middle Eastern Middle East, vague, yeah. you know, kind of things and that kind of stuff. And then it was moguls, business moguls that, you know, were they're getting out of control that no single nationality can handle them. And now we've returned to the Russians in some ways. You know what I mean? That when you find out that that maybe they've never stopped fighting the war, they've always had their science cities and their assassin camps and that kind of stuff. And there really is a... Um, so having said that, now the Chinese are in focus because they're our major international rival. And for a while, that was a very, I don't know, cheap, easy uh, villain in Marvel that was, there was, you know, the Yellow Claw and Fu Manchu and the Mandarin and various different... Um, just arch yellow enemies, and they got away from that because that was well. They're now they might be returning. You know yeah. what I mean? It really is that some part of wish fulfillment is if you want to get a good villain, just throw Hitler in there. You know what I mean? If you want to get this is Hitler's clone, yeah, we still hate that too. You know what I mean? So we'll start to see some of the stereotypes played out in some ways as they bring in the international flavor of things. But then there's still I don't know. When you're, if you're going to have anything going on in Africa, you're going to have an Idi Amin type despot who is not only yeah. like a strong man, but like really likes torture, really, you know, just did terrible things to many people and stuff like that. And I think we'll start to see that play out in the Marvel movies that they're not an embrace of stereotypes, but they will, they will echo in some ways what we're seeing currently. I you know agree. what I mean? So it, it fits. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the, that first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire uh, there's end battle was supposed to be in the twin towers and then the twin towers collapsed and they had to refilm the whole ending had to redo it because all. Exactly. it needed to reflect current society. Yeah, uh, yeah. So speaking of all the Marvel stuff, have you been watching Loki? Yes. And it, it's kind of funny. I just had a conversation with a friend and this, I love how our conversations really do tie back. Nobody knows necessarily how a fad starts. And, but like, so for instance, for the star Wars Mandalorian series, all of a sudden, everybody in the world was talking about Baby Yoda. Yeah. And I think that they knew that it was going to be big, but they didn't know that it would. Probably not. Low. No. The latest thing that I've seen is, you know, there, as you know, in the Loki series, there's many Lokis. He's one of those eternal villains that has a, 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 a version of him in every single of the multiverse. And yet the one that everybody's talking about is Alligator Loki. <laughs> Here's the alligator with the, <laughs> the Loki horse. And, you know, like, are they going to do it? Are they going to catch lightning in a bottle? Are they going to make like there's going to be a little alligator Loki plush well, toys? Uh, there's going to be But but the classic Loki, he was the coolest in the last episode. You know, creating I the agree. whole illusion and everything that that was pretty exactly. Cool. And also, they got Richard Grant 
to do what he's really good at, which is chewing scenery. You know what I mean? He, yeah. I'm, was it the Spy Kids movies or something like that? Maybe it was uh, uh, Hudson Hawk, a, a oh, Bruce geez. Willis movie that a yeah. lot of people decry, but I really thought it was good. It had all kinds of funny scenes, great, etc. So they let him go over the top. They let him be both, you know, the heroic villain, the egotist, all that kind of stuff. Like, who would have thought that someone could out Loki Tom Hiddleston? Yeah. And yet, he really was in good. That <laughs> <laughs> and it, I saw so, an interview quote from him that he okay. was laughing because uh, when he wanted to go into acting and not stage and theater, uh, but right. movies and stuff, his father said, what, do you want to wear tights all day? Uh, you know, and <laughs> now here he is. Exactly. Costume thingies, as yeah. they call it in Great Britain. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. So we, we've got uh, Loki one more episode tomorrow. And then we've right. got the what if series, which I was thinking was like a, an infinities legends offshoot, uh, you know, like the comic book that doesn't fit in. It's, you know, just right. Oh, it's meant to be. Yeah. Not in canon, exactly. But okay. my understanding is that's not true, that they're using all of this to tie into Doctor Strange and the multiverse, and Doctor Strange may have a cameo in just about every episode. Interesting. I so. really, there was not a, a trailer for that, and I'm really looking forward to that, because if they if they at all capture the um, Steve Ditko-esque multi-dimensional, you know, little fanged mouths floating in space type thing, you know, when I talked with Big Craig Russell a couple weekends ago, which, you know, I did. Oh my God. fanboys! <laughs> he, he really has, he's one of the inheritors of that ability to portray fantasy in a really convincing way so that you can, boy, this is unearthly, but it sure is detailed and like really looks like that's what, a, you know, a little right, right. thing would look like. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? So that's an interesting tie in then that, that, that Dr. Strange definitely has been that guy that always brought in, multi-dimensional especially like evil dimensions dormammu and nightmare and whatever else it might be right so if that's what they're building towards i think i just saw that captain marvel is going to be in one of the cameos yes. Yes. so that's like what an interesting contrast. she's very captain scientific in in the captain america suit she she does okay i, I believe yeah one of the things i always liked about marvel was that they didn't segregate between, okay, these are the mystic things and these are the scientific things and these are the urban gritty things. They often had those little crossovers of like, well, so what if you were Daredevil, but all of a sudden Jack the Ripper was in your town? Right. You know what I mean? What would you, what, how would you fight a vampire if you were the God of Thunder or something right. like that? And so I like that they, is science and magic just different forms of transferring energy? You know what I mean? They both have rules and, you know, that, that right. is the, the textbook any different than the Necronomicon and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So right. the I, fact I, that they're smart enough to make that, um, that you don't immediately dismiss it, oh, that doesn't make any sense. It's right. cool, but they can find a way to mix it up. So right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very interested to see where this is all leading in the MCU because we, we had the first three phases with Fury gathering the team and being the, the go-between. Now we got Julia Louise Dreyfus's character and Colin is saying everything is pointing to the Thunderbolts, that she's gathering the Thunderbolts. Interesting. So, so the villains reformed kind yes. of. Yeah. Because, I always thought that was a very interesting series. And, yes. and, you know, Suicide Squad and, and stuff on the DC side and the, the Zemo um, and, Thunderbolts on the Marvel side. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we got Zemo with uh, Falcon and Soldier um, mm -hmm. and then this last one, you know, let's go kill Barton, um, which ooh, that's going to be interesting. Exactly. Uh, 
but he also Talk about your out. Greek cliffhanger at the end, tacked on to the end of the movie. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? I thought right. they were okay. They were like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and that's another thing to point to that she's not doing the the Avengers. She's something else. And exactly. Colin pointed out that Ross was there, and we haven't really seen him since the Hulk. Um, and boy, that's good. Yeah, and, and yeah. that he was talking about his heart. And he had the surgeries. Well, in the comic, he overcame that by becoming the Red Hulk, who joined the, the Thunderbolts. Yeah. So Colin's that like, was a yeah. very good reveal in the comics that they yeah. took their sweet time letting you know that that's who it was. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, so and, you know that they're that they're building this up. You know, we may not see him again for two or three more years. Yeah. You know, because if they do it like they did the original, you know, we had stuff in what oh eight, and it wasn't till twelve that they all got together. So it's like four years. Exactly. Oh, and now That's they got the, the TV shows too. Yeah. I'll tell you, I really love that, that they've overcome one of my uh, um, often uh, spoken criticisms of early Marvel movies. And maybe it was not Marvel. It was Sony. Like, you know, you don't need to have six villains in every Spider-Man movie. Each one of these had enough weight to carry a, a three story arc in the comic books. And so you really could just have them versus the Sandman, not throw other ones in there. And, now they, they sometimes the reason the adventures gathered, as you know, was to fight menaces that no single hero could handle. But as they break off, it's it's interesting that they are taking their time and letting those um one of the things I've always loved about comic books was don't binge it. Every you had to wait a month each time, and your mind could kind of wander and speculate and say, So what does that mean? That you know, Storm is being pursued by Doctor Doom, not as a villain as you know, as, as his villain, but like he wants to be romantic with her. Right. You know what I mean? Like it I love that they are dropping all those possibilities and that I think that they know they must have a big old roadmap for what's going on. But it might be that they just are like they got a writer's room and these guys put out a movie and they said, Next movie, do whatever you want. We give you all kinds of material to work with. Right. You know, so I love yeah. that thought too. That they're kind of figuring it out while they go along and they're waiting to see. What does well? Well, you know I, I, mean? I think they've got an overall plan. I mean, they have to to be tying all this. I stuff really together. think so too. Yeah. And, and what you just said about that build up and all that, uh, my oldest stepson uh, and I were talking. He's he's the younger generation. He, I'm like, have you watched Loki yet? He's like, no, nah, I just watched a Falcon and Soldier. I'm like, oh, did you like? It? He says, yeah, it was okay. Well, he literally woke up on Saturday morning, started with episode one, and by evening he was done. And, done with all of them. See? Yeah, and I said, "See, but here's the problem: you, you didn't. Nothing stood out to you. You were just kind of glazed over, you know, with, through all of them. And I guarantee, by two weeks from now, you'll have forgotten most of it. There was no excitement in that. It yeah. was literally just consuming uh, content as if it was like every bad Philip Dick uh, science fiction movie with you know whatever into your brain, and you just I disregard you. it." Yeah. So I know we often advocate for it, but I think it's, I, I really think it's important that I really, I've liked that I grew up like that and I didn't mind being restricted to only one issue a month. And this is kind of funny, actually. <laughs> I'll give a disrecommendation. I just read a series called World's End that was like the new 52 from DC and it was Earth 2 having, right. uh, having to deal with Darkseid. Boy, did it suck. It was so tone deaf for what makes each of those characters great. Um, if you're going to have a galactic menace like that, it in every way, it didn't play well with continuity. It didn't play well with what really makes those characters who they are. It was 
un, it had, it was tone deaf. And as I was reading through it, if I remember, I'm not sure about this, but they've had series where they came out like one little issue a week for like 52. And so sometimes then you don't get that month in between, but a week in between is still enough to digest and think of what's going to happen next. In this case, it just made it seem choppy and disconnected. And like, did, do you even know what you said in issue two? And now it's issue 22 and you're already like backing away from it or actively contradicting it. And I just, I have not seen the author who got credit, I think Daniel Johnson, um, on anything else. And I suspect that like they, he came with this big idea and we're going to find a way to like remove Earth 2 from continuity. And like, and then he removed himself from continuity too. <laughs> I think this was a lead balloon that really just didn't work out. And I don't know that none of the deaths were heroic. None of the savings and heroic acts were big enough or like there wasn't enough build up to it. So it really was, wow, that's really having to overcome difficulties. I just, I, I always, it was two volumes and I almost turned the second one in without reading it. I hardly ever do that. I was actually at the library with both of them in hand and some part of my being that completest. Just got to do it. You know, I'll struggle through it. If I had to page through it, if I have to, but then and it's like, that isn't why I don't like it. Cause I didn't give it, I gave it short shrift. I actually did sit down and read it and it still didn't work for me. It just was the setup of what the earth elementals are versus the, the bad elementals, if you will, from apocalypse, you know, the avatars that they each took on. It just was, that's clumsy. That's foolish. That's not, that's not well-written. The character wouldn't say that. I, I just, it's kind of funny. I heard, I'm so usually enthusiastic about the world of comics and there's so much good that we can point out, but once in a while, this recommendation to like warn your friends away, boy, this was so much not worth the hours that I put into reading. Uh, it just was a, a, a bum. <laughs> and what, I think what that makes it worse is you get some series like metal or something that was just like over the top and everything was cool about it. So it right. makes the, the ho-hum one seem even worse. And, exactly. you know, you can't, looking at it objectively, you can't always expect everything's going to be better than the last thing. I'm more excited because there, right. there's a tipping point, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. and, and there's always got to be a breather, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's always got to be something that's worse, you know, at the yeah. bottom. That's why we have it's lists. Funny. <laughs> exactly. Right after right after I read that, and then I read uh, a bunch of Catwoman volumes, like volume one through four of collected Catwoman from relatively recent, and it's where she has left. Again, I know it's like long ago now, so it is no spoiler. If you don't know this, then you're you're not really in the in the field. She was they were gonna she's gonna be married to Batman. Right. And she leaves him at the altar. She can't do it. She can't give up her independence. She can't whatever the reasons are, and they kind of explore that. And it's not just one single thing. Like she's a troubled woman. You know what I mean? She doesn't always know why she does what she does. She knows that she's a kleptomaniac. She likes shiny things. She's learned to put this layer of authenticity, uh, of, of being like properly social. She can even be a hero when the people that she's stealing from are even more villainous than her. You know, there's nothing wrong with stealing a whole bunch of money from white slavers, you know, let, right. let them die, you know, that kind of thing. And, and having said that, that was very well-paced and good characterization of her. And, and the fact that, you know, while she's dealing with menace, she's also dealing with her own in, inner demons and stuff like that. And so it was, this is why I read comics, not that crap I just finished, but this is pretty well done. Joelle Jones, I think is, and it used to be that every single artist and writer stuck, you know what I mean? I think Fernando Blanco is the artist. And because and then you were like, well, now I know that I want to follow her work when I see right, her doing right. something else. It's like, I trust, I liked her from Catwoman. I can trust her on this. And so we'll see what happens. Right. But, uh, 
Well, hey, uh, we didn't get the jigsaws, jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> we'll have to try and get okay. to that next week. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of funny. I figure that our discussions always rove around just right. You know, whatever yeah. whatever we have is our little list of didn't get to it yet. We will. And if yeah. we don't, it's because, well, it turned out to be not that important, maybe. <laughs> well, <it's, laughs> so, yeah, things change. So <laughs> there we go. Okay. I'm going to go play hooky with Colleen, and we're going to go uh, do our little gardens and museums and buffets and all that kind of stuff nice. that we, we tend to do for birthdays. So nice. We'll tell we'll her have, happy birthday. Uh, we'll see you on Saturday. We'll, we'll finalize time for let's get together for breakfast. Yes. Let's get, make sure that we're all carbo loaded so we can yeah. have our brain firing fully to solve the mystery of the Cleveland Ripper. Little we'll backpack with some drinks and snacks. Exactly that. Kind of keep our Hats. strength up. <laughs> all right. Hats then. and sunscreen. I, that's if it's at all, you know, July in Cleveland, ain't that can be quite punishing. <laughs> we haven't had last week. It's rained just about every single day. I yeah. mean, geez. I hope we don't get a rain out on Saturday. Oh, that would be miserable. Would you know what I mean? Nobody wants to pull their phones out while it's getting drenched. I hope this doesn't short out in my hand. You know, like, <laughs> right. well, I need a new phone. So if it shorts out, then that's my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> the sacrifice you're willing to make. Yeah, exactly. you know. It's right. getting wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knew what could happen out there? <laughs> right. All right. All right. Take care, Stephen. Bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.